Hello everybody, welcome back to Write or Die. I'm here with one of my absolute favorites, Zoraida Cordova, and she's the author of the upcoming Bruja Born. Hi Zoraida, how are you? Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so Zoraida's been in the game, so to speak, forever in publishing times. When was your first series published? My first series came out in 2012. It's called The Vicious Deep. Yeah, and that, that's the mermaid book, right? It's the mermaid book, Merman. <laughs> Merman. Um, so tell us a little bit about that. Like, what was that process like? Um, and also, for people who are listening who are sort of new to publishing or new authors, new writers, how was publishing different when you were trying to break in back then? Because I know it's changed a lot. We've talked about that before. Yeah, publishing has changed so much in the last um, six years. I was like, wait, can I math? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I had a very, like, good experience on my first acquisition round Mm. uh, with The Vicious Deep because that book sold in, like, three days. (laughs) Whoa, that's Um, super fast. And I think it was because at that moment in time, like, six other mermaid books had sold Mm. the week before and the week after. Okay. And so it was, like, a wave of mermaid books, if you will. Yeah, so you just just happened to come in at, like – the right time. time. Um, uh, so the three years before that, I was not having the same situation. Um, my agent went out with um, a project that was about um, a young Latina having a quinceañera. And all of our answers were, this is really funny and contemporary, but we already have a quinceañera book. And, and so we got that from every single publisher. Oh, that's so um, frustrating. That is frustrating, but I mean, at the same time, it the same thing happened with like we already have a vampire book, we already have this, but you know, like, people of color are not vampires and mermaids and all those things. I mean, we can be, but it's not the same as having one sweet contemporary summer romance. You know what I mean? Like you have right. sixteen thousand of those. You have so many six sweet sixteen books, but you can only have one quinceanera book. And so the disparity and the difference between publishing then and publishing now is absolutely huge. Um, and obviously we have to think women of color, specifically black women, and we need diverse books mm. for, for taking that up. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And so after that, after The Vicious Deep came out, we, um, I, had that, I had that same series. My first series was with Sourcebooks Fire. Okay. Um, and it, it was followed by Labyrinth Loss and the Brooklyn Bruja series, but the Brooklyn Bruja series was not originally supposed to be a series. It was supposed to be a standalone novel. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Cause my publisher, um, I guess like my sales weren't that great for, you know, just to be real, my yeah. sales for, uh, the vicious deep. So they didn't really want to buy more than one book. Um, and, and so, you know. Labyrinth Loss happened, and I, I that's why it, it reads as a standalone and not a series. Um, even though it is a series of companion novels, it's structured so that every girl has her own book, and it's that way because it wasn't bought as a continuation. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So basically, the publisher was waiting to see how Labyrinth Loss did before they yeah. said it. And, and was that something that they told you up front, or was it sort of just like implied or was that in your contract or well, can you say anything about it I don't know well I you know what it's been so long and I just drink too much <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> and I'm getting old. I'll be 31 next month. Oh, uh, you are not old. Stop it. <laughs> I'm just like I'm trying to think of, of how it went down. Um, I'm so it was it was more of like a you know the vicious deep didn't perform, um, and they were like we'll buy one more book, but it wasn't. They wanted to wait and see. Yeah. Um, and they actually bought two more books before Labyrinth Lost came out because I had had a little bit of buzz and some hype. Um, and publishers always want to buy your next series before, like sometimes they want to buy it before the book comes out because if it does really well, they'll have to pay you more afterward. Sneakies. But what if it doesn't do well, then they pay, like then they might not buy it at all. Yeah. So, a very it's a big gamble and like knowing when to sell something is a huge it's a huge gamble it's a huge risk right yeah that sounds like I would be really anxious about something like that happening because I didn't used to have anxiety until the last four years of publishing (laughs) you know I was I don't remember who I was talking to about this but I feel like publishers should offer like group therapy to authors like that should be like in that yeah. should be like part uh, of your publishing or something. But <laughs> wait, what was that? I was like, we should they should offer health insurance or something. Well, well yeah, that would be great too. Um, <laughs> ideally, um, but just like I feel like writers are like sort of predisposed to be anxious anyway, and like the industry just makes it worse. So you sold the other. So so did you sell the other two two books right away? Because the um. The the Brooklyn Bruja series is three books, correct? It is three books. So we sold it in, it was supposed to come out September 2016. Mm. And we sold the two books in August of 20, August or July. We got an offer. They wanted to offer right away. Okay. Um, of 2016. So before, the like a month and a half before the book came out, we already had an offer for the next two books, which was really great because then I could start planning ahead. But right. the problem, but, you know, publishing, publishing and money is really, it's really hard. It's really hard to make it happen. It's really hard to make it a full-time career. Um, and I've been very blessed because I don't, I'm, I only have myself to take care of. I don't have like kids or a husband to like watch out for right. and provide for. And so, um, I, I can make the, you know, the money stretch a little bit longer until I figure out my next project. So I remember, I think it was maybe like the year before Labyrinth Lost came out. I'm not sure. It was maybe like two years ago, maybe three. I don't know. Time goes too quickly. But you were at a point where you were ready to just give up. And I remember you like, you posted about it somewhere, like maybe in like a private group. And you were, you were talking about that. You're like, I think that I'm going to be done after this. And then suddenly everything sort of started happening for you, which is really interesting because in the episode that I had with Julie C. Dow, she said, you know, right when you, when you're about to give up, that's when like a miracle can happen. Can you tell us a little bit about like what you were feeling in that time? If you remember like when you were sort of like ready to throw in the towel? I think that I'm always at the moment where I'm ready to throw in the towel. I think that. That's relatable. (laughs) The perception of success is a lot different. I think, I think people think that <laughs> I'm a lot more successful than I actually am. Um, but it's, 
because like I'm not, you know, one of those authors that's like a massive New York Times bestseller. And I don't say that as a depre- like self-deprecating thing. It's just like the numbers don't reflect that. Yeah. Uh, I think that <clears throat> I think that perception is different than what authors actually experience. Mm. Uh, and you know what somebody what somebody sees as like, oh, this book is so hyped up. It's not the actuality because like maybe that author doesn't have any in-house support. And so that they're busting their ass to try to get that mm-hmm. book actually out and notice, you know what I mean? Like I, everything I've done for Bruja Born, um, I've initiated myself, like my pre-order campaign, my, my, everything that I'm putting out there, like that's, that's me doing that. Um, and so back then, back to your question is, um, that moment where I, I was right out because I was really frustrated with, with the industry. Um, I was at a job that I really, really hated. <clears throat> and it was like, it was a, a toxic job. And then I would have to wake up and try to figure out a way to create something. Uh, I wasn't sure what my next series was going to be. Um, and, you know, um, my I wanted to write a little bit of romance. And so my agent convinced me to, um, she didn't convince me, but my agent, um, encouraged me to, um, to write something. And I did, and I wrote a proposal and, or I wrote, I think I wrote the first book because it had to have been, had to have, the first book had to have been finished. Okay. <laughs> um, and that was my luck on my, uh, my On the Verge series, which is a romance series. And okay. I think, I, I think all, all, when, when you're at a crossroads moment, you have to have an agent or somebody you trust give you more than one kind of advice. Um, like if you have an agent who's telling you to take a deal where you're not getting paid, that is the wrong thing to do. Okay. And, um, and, and I think that my problem was is that I wasn't talking to other authors and I wasn't talking to um, other people who had gone through the similar experiences and mostly because I, I was afraid to reach out and sound like I was complaining. Okay. And yeah. I was afraid to like, to, you know, to ask for any kind of feedback. Um, and I think that there was like a moment where my career trajectory just sort of went a little bit wonky because all of a sudden I'm writing fantasy for YA and I'm writing this adult contemporary romance. And I think that it confused a lot of my readership. Um, I still really love those books and I love those stories so much because I had, they were kind of like refreshing to write uh, after, after quitting my job and after going through all of this upheaval in my life. Um, but it's, it was, it was certainly a very stressful time period because I wasn't sure who I wanted to be as an author. And I think that what I needed was guidance and I didn't have that. So what made you finally, like, sort of find your people and, like, be able to, like, open up to other authors? When when did that come about? It might sound a little weird, but it wasn't until I went to RT, Romantic Times Lovers Convention, mm-hmm. in 2015. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. When I, I mean, I've had really great friends through my debut group, um, and, but like, I didn't have like a group of people in New York, New York yeah. to, to really hang out with and to bounce ideas off of. And so I'll, cause most of my writer friends were in other States. And so once I found 
these group of people who were also in the trenches and were also trying to diversify their stories. And we just sort of clicked, you know? Yeah. That makes such a big difference, for sure. And so I, <laughs> I spent all of my time um, trying to, trying to like, write the story that needed to be written. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's really cool. Um, and it's it's so interesting to me to see what a big difference it makes to to have other authors in your life who you can bounce ideas off of because like it can be very lonely um even when you do have close friends that are also authors but people who aren't in the industry don't get it at all like I think you can try to explain it to them but it's not really the same thing unless they're like in some sort of creative field maybe they can get it a little bit more but um but yeah that makes a lot of sense to me and when there's new authors that ask for advice and stuff. I think that's one of the first things I always tell them to like, you know, find a group of friends that you can rely on and bounce ideas off of and like check to see if something is normal. Cause like when you're going through something for the first time, you don't know if, if it's supposed to be that way. So that's very true. That's really very true. Yeah. And one of the things that was the hardest for me, um, when I was first starting out was, um, knowing what to ask from my publisher because you know there's this moment when you're a debut that every debut has even if you have you know a, a four-figure advance which is what I got um you you still dream that like what if a thousand people bought my book today and I hit the New York Times bestseller list and so you have all of these unrealistic expectations because you've never been on the industry before you don't know what an advanced reader copy is you don't know um um, I didn't know that other authors got like printed, edited manuscripts because all of my stuff was digital. Wow! Uh, a lot of a lot of publishers like have transitioned to digital because it just saves so much on paper. Yeah. But like when I got this, I I started writing romance and with Kensington under the name Zoe Castile, and that was the first time that I got all these other bells and whistles like. The, the manuscript and then the um, the the jacket covers and there's some things that some publishers do that other publishers don't right and, and once you start working with multiple publishers you see all of the difference how many books total do you have I feel like you have a billion <laughs> it feels that way uh, and so I have my three the vicious deep trilogy mm -hmm. which you know it's a series that I started writing when I was 18 and I felt like such a baby when I was writing that and when I reread it I'm like oh my god I still really love them but there are some things that I would change because I'm like oh my god I'm so much more cultured now <laughs> yeah I mean yeah you, you you've you've grown up I've grown up so much and I think that um one thing that authors like new authors it's I know that it's like the game is really exciting mm -hmm. but I think that the one thing that we're missing in YA is like allowing people to take their time and to yeah. develop um and so um so I have the three Vicious Deep books I have the three Brooklyn Brujas books I hope you're counting yes. um I have my On the Verge 
trilogy, which was three books, three different girls. Um, I have the duology with Glass 10 Entertainment, which is a package deal. It's an IP. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's two books. Um, I have a middle grade with Scholastic, okay. which we actually never announced, but congratulations. Oh, for yay. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't public knowledge. So, it's a write or die exclusive. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, we actually sold it last year. It's already written. So <laughs> so funny. Yay, Scholastic um, Buddies. Yeah, Scholastic. I love, I just, I, I, I've always run a try middle grade and this idea is, is like something super sweet and I love it. Um, I have three books under contract with Kensington, which is my adult. It's under Zoe Castile and, and that's, that's completely separate. Um, and then I have a mystery project that I can't talk about. (laughs) Okay. So that's 16 books. That's a lot. That's right. I know. (laughs) Holy crap. Most of those are already written. But. but still, that is a lot of books. You've written so many words. I'd be curious to see how many words total that is. Oh man, one day I'm gonna I'm gonna open up all of those documents and Microsoft <laughs> Word doesn't shut down on me. I think it's the correct number. <laughs> that would be really cool to see actually, and be like, I, and I wrote this. I've published this many words. Yeah, That'd be sick. Oh, absolutely. I think that it's it's interesting because like um, Victoria Schwab also has like a, an amazing number of books. I think she has like 17 now or 19. Holy crap. Um, and so I feel like we started, she's, we started one year apart and okay. we're, we're friends and we we're just like, and I think the reason we're friends is because we both are cancers and okay. because we both just keep going um, along with Danielle Clayton um, and now I'm just going to like name drop my friends. Because, That's like, fine. Honestly, this is, I love this cause I love all these people. So, um, with Danielle, like the three of us were basically like, Hey, we all have three deadlines at the same time. Like, let's just be friends. <laughs> right. Oh, that's, I mean, it's a friendship of convenience, but it like, it works out though. Like who else gets you more than someone who's on deadline at the same time? It's torture. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, so, and having that yeah. multiple line thing is very, very difficult to maintain because you burn out very easily. And I think I've been burned out for the past two years. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about like like juggling more than one project today on Twitter. Um, and I, I didn't really elaborate on it because I was hoping we could talk about it um, on the podcast too. But for someone like me, you know, I'm... I'm a a person of color and I don't ever want to say no to anything. Like any opportunity that comes my way, I'm just like super hungry because I feel like if I don't do it right now, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to do it. And sometimes that leads to me taking on too many things at once um, because I'm, I'm trying to get to that point where I could write full time because I'm sort of in the same situation where you were with your job before you quit um that that having having multiple football doesn't mean that you can quit your job yeah and I honestly I should have another job I just live very very like tightly Mm. Uh, and when you take on an IP project it looks like this huge gigantic deal 
but it's not going to be because the 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 packager keeps the lion's share of the money and right. so when 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 you look at that as an it's when you look at that it it is a good package projects are a good way to get your name out there and to um establish relationships with with other with bigger publishers um and to learn how to work on pacing because all package novels are all about pacing okay um can but, you ex- can you also I'm sorry to cut you off when you finish explaining this can you also explain um what a package deal is because a lot of people who are listening to this won't know what that is at all so okay yeah absolutely um so so you're are, are you talking about taking on like so if you're talking on about taking on like different kinds of deadlines um yeah. and on like a package project and a regular your own idea project Um, and what a package project is basically is a company that creates an idea and a world, and then they find the the perfect writer or a writer to, to fulfill that, to write the words. Um, you also get a a chance to help develop things, you know, um, there's Alloy Entertainment, which does some of your favorite books, like The Vampire Diaries and Pretty Little Liars and other projects like that. Um, there's Glasstown Entertainment, which is the company that I work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, the, these are the three most that I know of. And then there's Cake Literary. And Cake Literary is run by Daniel Clayton and Sona Charapatra. And it is a, a packager which um, wants to give beautiful commercial stories to kids of color. Um, and so you have something like Muslim Jumanji and uh, middle grade brujas in Brooklyn. Um, not Brooklyn. <laughs> middle grade brujas in Texas because they're little, they're brujitas and they're in Texas. So um, and so, you know, you have these like wonderful stories which are not about being other, but they're about like others having adventures. Um, and so that's a viable option for people who want to get started in the industry or if you want to boost to your career, um, you can, you can look into these things through your agent. Um, I recommend going through your agent because then you can get better contracts. <laughs> Contract yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, and so that's what, that's one of the deadlines that I'm talking about. Um, then, but back to managing deadlines, um, it doesn't just because you take on a bunch of different things doesn't mean that you're going to be able to quit your job. Yeah. Um, because not all publishers pay the same amount of money to everyone. And it, it really depends. And also you have to consider that you're getting paid in different chunks and you're getting paid, like you get paid when you sign, you get paid when you deliver, you get paid on publication, depending on how big the advance is. Um, you get you know, um, you don't get actual royalties until a year after the book is out. Um, so making money from publishing is a gamble. It's hard. It's not easy. What has kept you, what has kept you going through all these years? So 
you've seen publishing change a lot and it's been a while since you published your first novel and obviously you've had a lot of lots of ups and downs why haven't you quit uh, I think I'm good at anything else <laughs> <laughs> that cannot be true uh, well I'm good at painting but I mean it's just another art career yeah um, I think that the thing that gets, keeps me going is that I keep searching for the story that I, I, I want to tell okay. and I have so many stories that I want to tell and I want to share with people. And I know that some of them, I'm the only person who can write them. Um, and that goes for a lot of stories. Like you're the only person who can write a certain kind of story, a certain kind of way. Right. And you know, just think about it. If like, if you, Clarabelle, and I got the same idea and the same pitch from somebody, we would write them completely They're differently. Different, yeah, for sure. Backgrounds, we have different ways of thinking, and so I just think of all of the ideas that I want to put out there, and I think I'm just not done reaching. And eventually, you know, you reach a point where if you don't make a certain amount of money, if you're not lucky, if you can't pay your bills, if you can't, um, if you, if it feels like you can't make it happen, then you have to figure out another way to, um, to do it, which is, you know, you find other outlets, you find freelance writing and, and other things like that. But at the same time, you're just accumulating deadlines and you're accumulating things that have to be turned in. Um, and writing is a really, it can be incredibly satisfying when you write. Well, it is incredibly satisfying when you write for children, but when you write for adults, it's different because there's, there, there are different expectations. Okay. Uh, and so sometimes, sometimes like it feels like the career itself is very lonely and you, you know, it's like you only see your bad reviews and you only see the negative things. And that is when it comes in handy to have another outlet, another job, another something else. Right. That makes sense. Um, Can you, can you tell us at all about the middle grade with Scholastic or are you not allowed to talk about it or? Um, You know what? I am at the point where I'm just like, not in my career, but in my age, I'm just like, I don't think I'm going to talk about um, So my middle grade is about a young boy mm-hmm. named Danilo, Danny, who's named after my brother. Oh, so cute. Um, and he, I can't tell you the title because I haven't actually gotten approval for that. And that I do care about. Okay. <laughs> um, so the middle grade is obviously, I love writing about kids searching for magic and so he he's lost his sister she's been missing for a year and and nobody believes him that she's not a runaway they're both orphans and they're both in the system and she's one year older than him nobody believes him that she's gone and um or that she is that she's like not a runaway right um and until he finds this book and this book leads him to this um organization called the Knights of Letters and they protect authors and their word and 
they figured out that she's in this other realm. And so they have to piece together um, a key to get to this other realm. And the only way to do that is to find these missing authors. And the authors are all made up, but they're vaguely named after people I like. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. That sounds awesome. And that comes out next year or? That doesn't have a release date, but it, does, it comes out 2019. 2019. Okay, cool. Sweet. That, that sounds really good. Thanks. I'm excited to read a middle grade by you. Yeah, um, it's, diff- it's, it's, a, it's different, like, changing gears when you're writing, mm-hmm. like, when you write a romance adult and YA. And yeah, seriously. It, it's she, a difference. Yeah, because you're all over the map. Do you prefer one to another? Like, do you like writing one more than the other? Or, like, if you're in a certain mood, maybe, do you like writing... Uh, I don't because I don't have a preference. And the reason is I feel like I'm always writing for myself. Okay. Um, and I write for the person I was who needed that story at a certain time. So, like, I know that when I was a kid, I, this is the kind of story that I would have wanted to read. And when I was a teen, I would have wanted to read a certain kind of story. And as an adult, I'm like, this, like, I always encourage people to write the story that they don't see on the shelves Mm. Um, and so and that's what I've been trying to do for the last six years (laughs) so can you tell us what you're working on next I know you have that um series that I'm super excited with um for that you mentioned with Glasstown um yeah um I can't talk about it right now because it is getting a title change oh okay and it does have a title change, but I don't have authorization to... To, to say what that is. <laughs> what a, lot of, is. a lot of title changes in, right. going on right now. Um, so yeah. so can you tell us a little bit about uh, Bruja Born? Because I know everyone's super excited, including me. And this episode's going to drop, I think, right before the book comes out. So, uh, um, Bruja Born is a book that was incredibly difficult to write. I think I was writing it during like one of the hardest years of my life because I, you know, culturally as Latinos, like we don't talk about like being depressed and things like that. Right. Um, and it was just really hard. And my character was also going through similar things. Like she had just been in this massive car accident and, um, her boyfriend broke up with her. My boyfriend did not break up with me, but I don't have, (laughs) um, (laughs) but that's not where I, you know, reconciliated with my character. It was more of the, the journey. Right. Um, and so she casts a curse and she makes a mistake and she has to rectify it because her mistake revives somebody who should be dead and revives hundreds of people who should be dead. Oh no. And it's about sisterhood and about family and about forgiveness. Um, and it's about girls who make messy mistakes and messy choices and I think that we're in a place in YA where we really need to have that. And we need to have these discussions about girls who, um, they're going to make the wrong choices and they're going to, they're going to do the wrong things. Yes, please. The day, they, they're going to either figure it out or they're not. Yeah. yeah. I, but, lo- I love that. I really <laughs> think that's so super important because there's so many like sort of morally gray or not perfect male characters who are, is, are everyone's favorite, but I feel like girls don't get that same 
leeway or freedom to sort of be human. It's really interesting for me changing the way that I write because my first trilogy was from a boy's point of view. Mm. And then I decided to write from a, like a white teen boy who turns into a merman um, is because he could say whatever he wanted, do whatever he wanted. And he was just cute and he was like dumb and he was like a player and like sloppy, mm. but everyone forgives him for things. Yeah. Like, now I'm writing all these books about, like, brown girls. And um, when I read about, when I read how some people receive them, I get really frustrated because I'm like, you're like, oh, Lula in Born is unlikable. And I'm like, well, she's kind of sort of like me, so <laughs> I guess she don't like me. Either. Yeah, it's... Fine. Fine. As, you, know, you have to separate yourself from your book. Right. But still, I mean, it, you can't help but... When we see we want to when we say we want to see ourselves in in fiction and in literature, and then people don't receive that reflection well, it's, it still stings a little bit. I understand that. Um, did you purposely make your like your merman in a vicious deep white because of the experience that you had with the quinceañera book, or was that just it just sort of happened that way? I think it was a little bit of both. Like I said, it's been a while. Long. It's been like 10 years since I wrote that book. Um, and I think that it was easier. I think that it def- definitely think that, like, if, if he had been like Puerto Rican and a merman, it would have been a harder sell. Yeah. I can't say, I can't talk for publishers. They'll probably deny it. Um, but I mean, it is what it is. Like, it, I wouldn't change. Tristan is the way he was. Like, that's how I thought of him when I created him and he's, he's my baby. He's, <laughs> you know, my first published, my first published character. And, and I love him for all, all that he is and all that I made him. Um, when writers talk about their characters, it must be really weird because we're like, this is the real person. He's not. <laughs> he's made up. He's just from my brain. <laughs> I, I think that um, I, I couldn't say for sure. And I don't think, I don't think I'm jaded enough to say that that's what I did. Even if I, even if it was, I think that it was a subconscious decision and I think that it was an easier sell because his only thing was that he was bispecial. Yeah. Um, I think, but at the time I thought that writing about a boy who was human and a merman was like writing about straddling two cultures and two different things. Um, But it's easier to dissect that when you're not involving an actual culture. Mm -hmm. That is the inherent problem with publishing because we want like at that point, at that moment in time, it's like, Oh, it's cool if we're having these discussions as long as we're not actually talking about um, the actual issue around it. You know, yeah. Uh, but now I can do like now with Bruja Born. I think that you know it's not a book about being Latina. It's a book about being a Bruja and making mistakes. And the girls just happen to be mixed. You know, mm-hmm. I don't give them a specific culture. Like, yeah, I don't give them a specific country. I give them a bunch of different countries because 
I wanted to write to that diaspora of Latinx kids who don't speak Spanish. Um, but for my brujas, like they don't speak Spanish, but their language is magic and the old language and everything is in Spanish, but it, it's not another, it's not another, their identity as like a person of color is not their challenge, their challenge, the actual world. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we still need a lot more books like that too, you know, because like the the books that are issue based are important as well. But I think um, books like Bruja Born and Labyrinth Lost, where the characters just so happen to be um, not white and they're just going on these adventures and they have magic are so much fun to read and just like get lost in um, while also being able to identify with them for somebody like me. So, I mean... I think that when you're writing, when you're writing a book, um, well, you, me, me, when I'm writing a book, (laughs) (laughs) I like to, I I ask myself the question, um, what does my character want? Right. And that is the most important thing for me always. Like how, like, what does my character want? How are they going to get it? And once I know those things, then everything else falls into place. Um, with Paradise Past, um, the third Brooklyn Brewhouse book, it's actually not called that. Um, Another title change. <laughs> I'm sorry, it, it doesn't have a title. That's what I'm calling it. I don't know what my publisher is calling it. <laughs> That's your name for it. That's fine. This is what I've been calling it, and I hope that my publisher likes the title. Nobody's actually corrected me, so. Fingers crossed. <laughs> it's fine. Um, Twitter will defend me. Just kidding. Um, I, mean, I mean, they will. <laughs> uh, but with the third Brook and Brookhouse book, it's about the youngest sister. Okay. And this is really interesting for me as a writer because I start off with the middle sister, Bruja Born is the oldest sister, and the third book is the youngest. And so the tonal change is really different, but I think that the third book sounds a lot more like me than closer to my vicious deep books because the character is like very, very teen in a way that is like millennial teen. I'm meeting a bunch of magical creatures and they don't know what to do with me. Oh God. So, uh, Rose, uh, the youngest sister in book three, she goes to the kingdom of Adas, which is like a fairy realm, but the fairy realm exists off the coast of Puerto Rico. Okay. So for me, the question was like, what does fairy look like if it were, instead of like eating plums and shit, they're eating like fried yuca. <laughs> plums and shit. <laughs> Oh man, fried juca. Now I want some. God. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this is what, this is what, because we don't have, like, Latinx people don't have a fairy realm. Yeah, we totally don't. And we so have I'm, a lot of diablos, though, and stuff yeah. like that. It's really, so- really super scary shit, but not a fairy realm. That's mm-hmm. absolutely correct. It's all like, it's all like, all of the mythology that has come into, because there is no Latin mythology, contrary to everyone who writes a review about my book. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> You're all wrong, just so you know. Um, there's no pan-Latin mythology. You know, there's mm. so many cultures, so many countries, so many indigenous cultures that were taken over. Yeah. Um, and then you, you have the slavery aspect. Um, and then you have the conquistadors who ruined everything. Mm-hmm. And, and then, and then this is, this is what I'm trying to explore in, in my creation of a Bruja mythology religion. Okay. So I'm creating a religion and I'm creating mythology for people who don't share the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's super complicated. It, and it really, really is. But I'm, I'm having a good time. I mean, that's cool. It sounds really awesome. And I, I think whenever you explore something like that and you do it well, which you do do the, everything that you've done well that I've seen so far in the Brooklyn Bruja series, um, it, I don't know, it just opens up the world of possibilities for other writers too. Because, like, it can be complicated to wrap your head around, like, everything because there's so much. And it's like, where do... Where, where do I start? Yeah, where do I start? And like when there are when there are no books about you. Yeah, it's really and, difficult. And and it's like every time a, a young writer tweets at me and is like, like you the reason I'm writing my book is because you wrote Labyrinth Lost. I'm just like, Do you want me to cry? Oh, that, that's <laughs> I really so cool. It. But I, I mean <laughs> But I mean it's true. Like I've said this a million times, like seeing you and like DJ Older published books that I felt like I could connect to really gave me that sort of courage to do it as well and mm-hmm. it, it it is a big deal like it it is a huge deal to to see someone who's like you sort of not just write but write characters that are also like sharing like aspects of our culture and it's really cool um so so yeah that whoever those writers are I am on that same boat with them standing you so yeah. And, um, yeah, like for, for me as a Dominican writer, like a lot of the, the folk tales that are from my country are also from Africa and like, and I will explain like something like I'll tell Patrice, um, who, uh, like an idea that I'm having and she's like, oh my God, she's like in West Africa, there's like the same exact myth, but we call it, this is not. And I'm like, yeah, that's crazy. Um, oh, absolutely. Because I mean, that's where, that's where a lot of those things come from. Like, yeah. it's, that's, that's, I mean, that's, when I was exploring Taino culture in the Caribbean, mm. there's almost nothing there. Because so scant. Yep. Absolutely. And, and so now we're getting to the point where it's just like, where do we reconciliate what existed and what we want to make up? Um, and it's a little scary. It's scary territory. It's scary territory as as, as writers of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I think I, I don't, I don't have an answer on how to do it correctly. Right. Um, I don't think that, I don't think that there is a right answer. Um, or maybe I'm just not like, like a bro who will be like, I have the answer. <laughs> right. I mean, I think it's, I think it's fair to say there is no one right way to do it because it's, a lot of it is like uncharted territory. And, what we always tell people is like be respectful and I think that that's like the most that you can do really when it comes to something like that um 
because there is nowhere, there's no like one place to pull from. There's just like little pockets of information here and there, but there's, there's not this like big book of, you know, of, of mythology or of folklore that you can, that you can get. And it's really, it's sad, you know, cause I feel like we've lost so many, so many things and so many things that like our, our past and our heritage and that connect us to each other but it's still cool for us to try to like weave it back together in our own way too oh absolutely and so it's I mean it I I got really frustrated when I was looking at for I was looking for 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 Latinx fairies because one this and two all the mythology books I found were including um folk tales that were predominantly Christian and like you know, like nothing against Christianity, but I'm just like, oh, these are Christian stories. These are like devil stories. These yeah. are not, you know, you have your, um, like, there's a reason why somebody will name a character Diablo Diablos because like <laughs> the thing that they they think that they know of this culture. Yeah, and 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 that's that's not it's not enough, you know, it's and really so. Not. So for me, I'm just like, what can I make up? What can I create? What what doesn't exist? Uh, and that's my place. And I think that maybe I finally, an hour later, found an answer to your question. Of why do you keep going when you feel like you're You see, I'm here to help you figure it out. <laughs> Thank you. This is the best question I've ever had since like, having never been to therapy. Um, Welcome to Ride or Die Therapy. Thank you. Um, one thing that I... Um, would like to say about the deadline stuff and balancing multiple deadlines. If that mm. is the path that you decide to have, mm. um, organization is key. Um, you can't really fuck around and be like, I'm going to decide what this book is going to be about after I've written it. No, like you need an outline. Yeah. And, and, and that's the only thing I'm going to be a hard ass about is like, you need, even the barest bones of outlines where it's like these five things have to happen. That's my outline. I outline chapter by chapter, but if you don't like to do that and you're like, I like to free write, give yourself at least five things that your character needs to accomplish to achieve, to answer the questions. What do they want? and How are they going to get it? Um, and when you're, because when you're, when you're trying to balance, when like, and trying to balance multiple projects at the same time, everything's going to go wrong. And the reason everything's going to go wrong, and I'm always talking about like personal experience, mm-hmm. um, unless my editors are listening to this, everything is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> editors, you can put your earmuffs on now. Thank you. <laughs> I love all my editors. They're wonderful. Um, but, it, you know, like, you plan out everything that you need to do and you're like, I have this much time to do this and it's going to be great. And I'm going to, I'm going to have exactly the amount of time I need with plus a couple of buffer days. And then somebody turns in something late and then another person turns in something late. And then you're like, Oh, well, um, what am I going to do now when two things are due with the exact same date and you can't, you know, so it's, there's so many variables that go into having three separate things to to that need to be done Mm -hmm. um and then you have at the same time you have to figure out a way to be kind to yourself and to take care of yourself and for me like my thing is like 
I go to my gym and I go to the sauna and I go to like, and then, and like, that's like my, that's like my, my space where I can just like be alone and sweat and like, <laughs> nothing. um, and that's like my self care. And, and then when you don't have that, when you, you just run out of time and you're not allowed to have that, it, it sort of it starts to slow you down and you forget to take care of yourself. And as writers, we forget to take care of ourselves because there's this glamorization of, of being this like super busy, stressed out person. And I can tell you from personal experience, it is not glamorous at all. Like I'm in sweatpants and I haven't gotten a manicure in like a month. Oh, <laughs> Z, you have to get your manicure. I know. That's not good. See, okay. I, like I because you're thinking I'm like oh my god I can go get a manicure or I can write like 500 words or a thousand words you know so it's like yeah sacrifice a lot of things mm. and it seems like a little silly thing but at the end of the day like they do make a difference yeah like, make a difference to like take care of yourself and to and to like pamper yourself a little bit because even if you give yourself a manicure <laughs> yeah I can't miss my nail appointment yeah I'm I'm putting my nail tech in my acknowledgments for my book because she, she she keeps me fresh. Yeah. Um. So okay. So can you share with us either your most embarrassing moment in publishing or something you wish you'd known when you started, um, that you know now? Um. So I'm gonna give you a funny one. Yay. And a serious one. Okay, um, cool. My very first panel was at the Brooklyn Book Festival. Um, this is when the Savage Blue came out. And it's book two in the, the Mermaid series. And I had to moderate a panel with Libba Bray, my hero, um, and two other authors. And I am so starstruck my little Bray, that I forget to introduce myself. Oh, no. I was like, I'm this person up here. And then Libba's like, Soraya, you didn't introduce yourself. And I was like, oh, that's right. I'm so nervous. I don't even know what to do with my life. Um, <laughs> you're like, I'm just a rock on the stage. Nobody <laughs> pay attention to I'm me. I'm a rock. You're a rock star. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. And then I think the serious one is one thing that I wish I had known is I wish that I had known that I could ask for more and dream bigger. And I think that I really limited myself when I first started. And I, I didn't push, I didn't push my, like the person representing me. Like I didn't, um, I didn't, I didn't ask for more opinions. I didn't, um, I didn't want to allow myself to take big risks. Um, and I think that, at a certain point, you have to not be afraid to leave a comfort zone. Um, and I think, and I did that. Like I, I've, I've left my comfort zone a couple times and I think that everything will be fine for me. Um, which is really vague and cryptic and I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I think it's a beautiful note to leave off on. Everything will be fine. I think it'll be better than fine. And I think that everybody better make sure that they order 
um, Bruja Born if they haven't already because <laughs> I know it's going to be really good. And um, what was that? I said I'm very proud of this book. Yeah, I mean, you know how obsessed I am with this whole series. I I always yell about it. And um, when Labyrinth Lost came out, I was like, I mean, Zoraida's probably going to hate me because I'm always tweeting about this, but I really don't care. <laughs> um, never, never. I <laughs> love I love when people tweet me and tell me that they that they love the series. I it's you know it's really important for me to 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 have that because you know what everybody loves to hear that they are loved or that their book is loved um and I think that we just need a lot more positivity I mean it's not like blanket blind positivity it's like just more positivity in 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 our industry um because there's so many so many things that go wrong all the time. Yeah, I agree. And I think that one thing that really sort of bothers me about Twitter, and I always say this, is that like when there's a call out, like everybody shows up and is really loud. Um, but when it's something positive, it's a lot harder to get people to respond with the same vigor. And I think that if we're going to fight for like inclusion and diversity, we also have to like amplify the voices of the actual authors who are writing these books and like support the hell out of them and not just come out when there's like drama um so I agree with you for sure um in terms of positivity I have seen how I've changed as a writer over the past six years and I think that the one thing the one advice that I could give myself if I I, you know I could turn back time you had a time turner I, I love that I said share and you said time turner. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Both good references. Whatever. So I think it would also be um, to take my time and to, to slow down a little bit because I think that I just like, I wanted, I wanted everything to happen all at once. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with the work that I'm turning out. And I think that I'm producing things that I'm proud of. Um, so it's, I'm, but I'm also very fortunate and very privileged in certain ways because I have a support system that allows me to do the things that I do. Not everybody has, not everybody has that. Um, and so I'm, I, I try to maintain an awareness of that every time I, I give writing advice. All right. Well, it's been amazing talking to you. I've admired your career for a long time. I'm super excited for all your other books that are going to come out. And um, can you tell our listeners where they can follow you online? Yeah, you can follow me at Z Like and Zorro on Twitter. It's just the phrase Z Like and Zorro. Instagram, it's Zoraida Solo, like Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, those are my main two. Those are the things that I'm the most active on. I'm, I have a Facebook fan page, which is Z Cordova books, okay. but mostly just, um, articles and things like that. I don't, I'm not active on that. Um, I'm going to be on tour with Danielle Clayton, Woo-hoo. um, for a thing called the bells and brujas tour, which kicks off June 5th in Boston at the Brookline village library. And that's going to be amazing. We have Sasha Alsberg and Julie C. Dow uh, joining us. I love us. both of them. That's amazing. And the New York, I mean, we have a bunch of events. We have like 13 cities. The New York stop is on June 8th at the Barnes & Noble on the Upper West Side. 
And, you know, we're just, we're trying to get the books out there. We're donating a percentage of our, of our sales to W, to We Need Diverse Books. Amazing. Um, so if you can go, you should go and see us. And we have, we have so much swag. Like we have, we're actually checking a <laughs> bag to every location because we have so much swag. Holy crap. That's so cool. Oh, oh man, I'm excited. Well, you know, I'll be there at. <laughs> the New York lunch, and I'll have a duffel bag um, oh to fill with stuff. Thanks again for being on the show. Everybody, make sure you go buy Blue Hop Born right now. And um, thanks again, Dorita. Thank you so much for having me. All right, bye. A big thank you to Dorita for being on the show. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Clarabel underscore Ortega. Bye.